Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. And of course, we are here talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. Today, I am joined by Matthew Westfox from the Superhero Ethics Podcast. Hey, Matthew. Hey, how you doing? Looking forward to this. I'm glad to have you on. It's going to be an interesting conversation to have with you over these next few days about uh, the minutes here. Yeah, thank you. I It's funny, I'd never really thought of approaching the movie like this. And uh, to be honest, when you first emailed me, I kind of raised an eyebrow a bit and thought, what what, what we really have to talk about? But then when I <laughs> sat down and kind of listened to the, uh, watched the, the five specific minutes, I realized there's just so much to dig into. And, and to me, that's really a testament to what a great movie this is. And I'm um, looking forward to getting going into this much detail. Well, so am I. We are, of course, talking about Minute 44 of Iron Man. Minute 44 uh, starts with Tony craving a cheeseburger. <laughs> and it ends with a mysterious stranger introducing himself to Pepper. We're coming in on the end of Tony's return from his time in captivity. And actually, this is an answer that, we, that we've asked over a number of previous episodes, how long has Tony been held in captivity? It's been a little bit of a question. You know, we're trying to gauge, and the script gives some answers, but nobody has ever really said anything over the course of the film. The only clue to time that we've ever had, I think, is Raza says, you know, you have to finish this by tomorrow. And that's really the only time reference that we've had. So here we finally get the answer. It has been three months that he's been held in captivity. It's interesting to see how that plays out, but I guess in in context of what he has to build and design in that span of time, I guess it makes sense. It seems like a, he's going to need quite a bit of time to pull all those missiles apart and build the Mark One. Yeah, I, and I, I, I'll be honest, I, I, I look forward to hearing what you guys have said about some of the minutes leading up to it. There's a lot I love about this movie. I think it's one of the best in the Marvel Universe and, and one of the best superhero movies in general. There are a number of movie moments where I really have to suspend my disbelief. <laughs> and and just the whole process of what he is building in the cave and the idea that like somehow from the things he's found lying around the cave he can put together the the mark one suit it's it's funny to me that you guys are talking so much about how long it was because i think that that was the point at which i sort of had to say to myself if i try to figure out the reality of this i'm never going to enjoy this movie so i'm just going to let it go he's building a suit let's just enjoy it <laughs> Well, that's uh, you really have to. And and there are little nods to remind you throughout that, you know, this is a comic book movie. A lot of this is not logical. Yeah. And I mean, there are some websites that we've come across where, you know, scientists are analyzing the minutiae <laughs> of some of the conversations that Tony has with Yinsen or how they're building things and, you know, what they're using, like talking about the palladium, et cetera, et cetera. And I think largely they agree that, you know, that it's, it's largely all nonsense, but it's fun superhero nonsense. Yeah. So in the world they're creating here, it ends up working. So it's funny when you started with it, this minute starts with a cheeseburger and I, I'm looking forward to talking about a lot of great things in this minute. And I, I think you're going to have me on for a couple of minutes afterwards, but I have to start with a complaint. And I recognize okay. <laughs> that product placement is how they pay for movies. And it's very subtle. Uh, right. I think you know where I'm going. Because uh, I know where if you watch closely, it is very clear that not only does he have a cheeseburger, he has a Burger King cheeseburger. And if there is anything that I know about Tony Stark, a man who is so into hedonism and so into pleasure and so into paying the absolute best for the absolute best, it is that there is no way in any world that when he comes back to America, the cheeseburger he gets is from Burger King. 
that honestly probably harder for me to believe than that he built the suit in three months. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, he'd, he'd, he'd have at least a Freddy. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or an in and out Burger. <laughs> yeah. He's in California, right? An in and out Burger or something, something maybe not a chain, but granted they need the product placement. I get it. Just that one moment. I was like, come on guys. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that's one of those moments. Every time it happens, I just feel like in my head that was something that Robert Downey Jr. thought would be really funny. Mm-hmm. And and who I'm sure it is product placement, but it just seems like something that he would say, you know, it'd be great is if he's eating Burger King. <laughs> because it just seems it's not so even cheap a big man. And- like you expect it to be McDonald's <laughs> that sponsors it. Okay. If it was actually RDJ, that's, I could buy that. That that could maybe save it for me. That's right. That's that's just you know who knows. I mean, we'll forever be speculating on this point. It, but it just it makes me laugh to see that that's what he goes for is Burger King, and not just one burger. We see him polish off at least two burgers in this minute, and uh, we'll still have burgers to talk about tomorrow. And on that same note, did it seem weird to you that he has a burger in his pocket? I think that's uh, just a, so, such a strange little touch that we get here that he's got he gets he gets the burgers he's he's finishing one as he gets out of the vehicle and as they're walking obi asks if he brought him one he's like no it's for me and then as they're walking we see him finishing that burger Mm -hmm. off right and then he pulls one out of his pocket which actually will be will be tomorrow's minute we'll talk about that one oh that's right i'm sorry okay we'll talk about that then yeah but it's uh it is funny uh clear well and you know have you ever been out of the country for a very prolonged period of time where you're not around american food and just like the stuff that you're used to i have yeah actually i, I lived in ireland for nine months um when i uh when i was in college and when i came back there was a list of food that i just needed to get my hands on i think i scoured the american airport for a good slice of pizza it was the first thing i did a couple <laughs> other things like that so I can definitely understand where he's coming from. That that's for sure. Yeah, and and I think that's that's my sense too. Is as having been overseas for long periods of time as well, you have those cravings of those things you just never get to eat, and it's like the first thing that you think of when you get off the plane. It's like I have to find this. I have to eat it. Right. And the fact that he's chowing down on three of them just uh, just it further makes me laugh. It just is a funny funny beat. And it, it seems like it is a great moment of, of humor, but I also think it 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 is it is another moment that really underscores this thing about his character, which is he is utterly dedicated to having lived a life of instant gratification. He sees something, he wants it, he has it, you know? He doesn't want to be in Afghanistan without having his, the the chance to have a drink right there. He sees a pretty recorder, he gets her into bed. And, And so I do, it is a funny moment, but I also think it's a very Tony Stark moment for him to say, I've just spent three months with people controlling what I could do and not letting me do what I do. And so when Pepper tries to stop him, it's like, nope, He's going to have the cheeseburger. He's going to do exactly what he wants. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And actually, that's a a nice exchange that I really do enjoy between Tony and Pepper when he has that beat as he's talking. Like, there's two things I want. I want an American cheeseburger. And I do find it interesting that he says American there. Yeah. And then he has that beat. And then he's like, and, and just that whole exchange there is just, that's just a great little bit of subtle humor that gets thrown in here as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how... This movie does such a good job of establishing this idea of, I mean, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe is birthed in this one movie. And I I thought about that one moment as just kind of the nice way that they make clear that, yes, these movies are always going to be PG-13, that that with a couple exceptions are going to stay very far away from the R rating, you know, and they're going to want to keep it family friendly. But they're also not going to ignore the fact that that Tony Stark is the person who he is and and 
that from Pepper Potts's perspective, the chance that that's the first thing he's going to think of is not a, a burger, but um, some other pleasures of the flesh, perhaps we can say, in keeping with a PG-13 right. idea. The, the fact that Pepper Potts makes clear that that's what she thinks he means also helps us to understand that, yes, this is a comic book movie, but it's not a kid's movie. It's a movie that kids are welcome at, but it's not a kid's movie. And I, I, I really right. like that as well, because I think it helps to establish the idea that, yeah, there's something a little bit more more serious than you might think of from a comic book movie when this is happening. There's definitely a lot of stuff going on here. And I mean, we've had that right from the beginning. I mean, we have a essentially a, a terrorist attack and we have a horrific moment where he's in that awful position where he's held by terrorists and he's they're speaking a foreign language and he's got a bag taken off his head and he's they're filming it. That's just something that we have sadly seen and, and come to understand what that means in our society. So, I mean, yes, there are elements in here that really say this is this is not a kid's film. This is a film for adults. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, there's a reason that it's probably pushing that PG-13 rating because there are some elements that you don't necessarily want young kids to sit through or have to explain once once you've watched it, right. um, how, how scary some of that stuff can be. But, you know, moments like this where it goes to that levity and the way that they just casually play it, I, I, I think Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow have created a great connection and a nice synergy. And the way that they can read each other and play off each other works really well. And a moment like this really helps define that relationship. And we know exactly how Tony and Pepper work together. I think so, especially because the Tony-Pepper relationship is probably one of the most iconic. You know, I don't think it's quite on the Clark Lois level, but it's certainly for Marvel, I think it's one of the most iconic relationships that we have in, in any of the stories. And you're right, it is, it is one that I think was, was so hard to get right and so easily could have fallen flat. Because I, I think this is... We've seen them interact some in earlier minutes, but this is this is such a great moment of just further establishing the way that they can that, that they interact and that he is her boss and he gets to decide what to do. But in so many ways, she is still controlling him in that in that kind of back and yeah. forth they have. Yeah, it works nicely. It's a it's a great pairing these two. Mm -hmm. We start off the scene. Uh, we're still at Stark Industries Aviation Division, which is uh, still out at Edwards Air Force Base. And then they leave. He tells Hogan to drive and they head over to Stark International Headquarters because he wants to do a press conference. This is the first time we're getting to see Stark International Headquarters. And the exterior of this is filmed at the building that is now Massimo Headquarters. Massimo is a medical technology company. They moved in in 2015. From what I read, it was originally Nikon, and I can't oh. remember. I don't. I never know if I'm pronouncing that right. Nikon, Nikon. Okay. A, a Japanese company that had that building at the time, and I, I couldn't figure out if they had it at the time or if it was kind of empty at the time because a lot of productions, I guess, were using this space. Uh, Transformers filmed some stuff here. Dodgeball, of all things, filmed some stuff here. It is this building out in Irvine, and it's got a very nice look. It's got that great circle out in front, and we'll actually talk more about it in the coming days because mm -hmm. there's some more stuff here. And from what I could tell, we do see this jet right in the center of the parking circle. It is a Lockheed YF-22. It looks, from what I can tell, I, I don't know if it was there at the time or if they added it to kind of tie into kind of just everything Stark-related, mm -hmm. but, but this Lockheed YF-22 was actually a, a fighter aircraft that was designed in, it's like a competition 
in the Air Force's Advanced Tactical Fighter competition, there were two prototypes built. And it won the contest against the YF-23, and it became the Lockheed Martin F-22 Raptor. But there were only two of these actually made, this actual YF-22. And, and the one that we see here is just a model. I, don't, I, I couldn't find any that were actually this blue color. Right. But it's, it's, it's an interesting element to kind of start us off with here that I think ties us into Tony and his lineage and everything that they've been doing and the connection to the military, which I think actually works really nicely for kind of what we're leading into with the coming scenes. Yeah, I, I think so, because it, it definitely establishes the military aspect, but also the like it, it establishes the experimentalness. You know, this this yeah. to me is very clearly not a just run of the mill fighter plane. To me, this is some kind of a, I, I didn't know the, the detail you did. And I'm glad, really glad you did that research. But, but it, it, it comes clear that that's some sort of like a test plane or a model of a test plane. Right. And, and to me, that helps to establish not only what Stark Industries does, but also why Brody is hanging around. Because that, more than anything, that looks like the kind of thing that Brody would fly. Brody. Brody. I'm sorry, Brody. I, yeah. Um, Brody, Brody. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, but yeah, but that, that's clearly the kind of thing that Brody would fly. And, and so that was, I thought, also a nice touch, especially given that he barely says anything. But, but as, as we're going to talk about over the next couple of days... Rody is just facial expressions wind up saying quite a lot at this press conference we're about to see. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to talking a little bit more about that. It's going to be an interesting discussion to see how that ends up playing out. As I said, we are at the Massimo building, a.k.a. Stark headquarters, and uh, we, we get a nice greeting from Obadiah, who's mm-hmm. there to welcome Tony. This is, you know, it's really interesting. I, I'm really curious. Uh, we've talked a little bit about this, the script development and how the antagonist of the film changed. There was a time it was going to be the Mandarin, and then it was going to be the um, Crimson Dynamo. And somewhere along the production of the film, they decided, you know, the Mandarin's a little... I think I think Favreau was a little uh, wary of some of the uh, the stereotypes that came with the character, mm. and they were building Obadiah Stane as an antagonist that would turn into an antagonist in a subsequent film. So somewhere along the line, they decided, you know what? Let's make him the bad guy. Jeff Bridges is great in, as this character. Let's drop the other one, and we're going to rework the ending to have him kind of be the big bad. Mm. So I'm always curious as I watch scenes like this, like, is this a point where Jeff Bridges knew he was going to be the bad guy of the film? Or is this a point where he still thought that he was kind of one of the good guys as the film was going along? Yeah, and I I think the film sets it up very well because Obadiah's obvious joy, I think, uh, uh, you know, he, he is, or I shouldn't say obvious, but he is he is clearly acting as though he's quite happy to see Tony. And he's doing so in a way that feels it feels overdone and sort of like showy, but yeah. but when I it, I remember that the first time I saw this movie, there is a moment and and it comes pretty soon after this where I started to think maybe Obadiah was the villain, but this is definitely not it because I think right now his that showiness to me doesn't feel fake. It feels very much like the person who is the eternal or the eternal salesman which is kind of what we've gotten from his character up until this point. Yeah. You know, someone who is a little bit frustrated with Tony, a little bit willing to roll his eyes at Tony, but also just kind of accepts that Tony goes along with things. But so from your mind, do you think, is there some doubt as to whether 
they knew that Obadiah was going to be the villain when they filmed this scene? You know, I, I don't I, I don't think so. I feel like at this point, he's just, uh, I mean, Obadiah Stane inevitably is going to turn into a bad guy because he is in the comic books. Right. You know, and that's so the the lineage is there. So I obviously Jeff Bridges knows that at some point he is going to be Tony's nemesis. And I, I think when I see a scene like this, I mean, I think something that you said really struck it for me because he seems a little too big, but I feel like that's that salesman side of thing. That's the guy that he knows the cameras are always rolling. And so he's going to always have that extra big smile and that extra pat on the back and the extra squeeze and the hug just to make sure that the the press knows, oh, they're good friends. He's kind of this father figure for Tony. And I think right. all of that reads and so I think in my head, I just always see that coming from him. And I don't necessarily feel like I, I see that villainous side of him yet. And even in retrospect, watching it again, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I, I, I think it's played pretty well the way that Jeff Bridges uh, runs with this scene. I, I think that's true because, you know, at, at, forgive me for spoilers, but I think, you know, um, <laughs> obviously later we find out that. Obadiah was probably very unhappy to find out that Tony was still alive because he had hoped right. that Tony would be killed by them. But I don't feel like you get that from this scene, especially because I think even if they were not were true, given the relationship Obadiah had with Tony, the idea that Obadiah is, you know, happy that his friend is still alive, but that maybe over the last three months, he's kind of felt like, okay, that really troublesome part of my professional life is gone, and that's sad for Tony, but now things are a lot easier. That seems very believable for an Obadiah who isn't the villain. So, so I, I can kind of, even there, I can understand. It, I feel like playing Obadiah as a little bit conflicted, even in these moments, even that doesn't have to give away he's the villain, because I think you could believe he was that a little bit conflicted, even with him not being, with, even with, without him being the villain. And what's interesting is I feel like the script, the way that it plays in the film, really emphasizes kind of the friendship and that playful banter between these two characters. I think if they did it as it was scripted, it would have almost been a little too much because when when Obadiah sees Tony get out of the car, he says, Tony thought we were meeting at the hospital, which he says. And then he says, you know, there's a lot of reporters in there. What's going on? And it just seems like he has this more suspicious mm. attitude, which which kind of struck me as a little you know, I don't know I just the way that it sounded didn't sound as friendly and I feel like if he's greeting this guy who just got back from three months you know in a terrorist camp that he would be a little more jovial and friendly and happy to see his friend so it actually works a lot better for me the way that yeah. Favreau and team ended up making it well especially because and there's something I'd never gotten to see until we really do this kind of moment by moment uh, rewatch which I really like it feels to me like, because I'm kind of rewatching it now with sound off, but as I watch him kind of rush over to the car, uh -huh. what I see is someone trying to take control back of the situation. Yes. You know, Tony's the one who called this press conference. Obadiah probably has no idea what's going on. Knowing what we do, he might be really nervous about this. But here he's really trying to be like, nope, nope, I'm, look, everybody, I'm the one in control. Right. All the cameras look at it. It's me rushing to the car, me greeting Tony. And it, it's, a, it's a nice moment of... That, that part of Obadiah that really always wants to be back in control. Yes. I, I think that that says it very nicely. And Jeff Bridges is the perfect actor to kind of do that. He, I think he does such a great job of, of doing that and playing it off of Robert Downey Jr. Definitely. So coming to the end of this minute, we do get this mysterious figure coming <laughs> in, which it's I, I have to say the reveal of Agent Coulson 
is it just it cracks me up because it's it's such a uh, non-reveal <laughs> the way that it happens. Mm-hmm. You have somebody standing in front of him who moves out of the way, and then he just happens to be standing right next to Pepper and introduces himself. Oh, it's funny. I hadn't even noticed that. I find that funny every time I watch this. The way that he's just there. It's like this uh-huh. this this presence which I think speaks well for who he is and and the uh, and and where he comes from. We don't find out yet, but it just it I don't know. It just makes me laugh and it just he seems like that guy who kind of slips in and out of scenes in this film with everyone else being completely unaware and it makes me laugh. Uh-huh. No, I, I think that's a good point. I think it does set up so much about who he is and what he's going to be doing for the whole rest of the the, the show. Yes, um, the whole rest of, of of just the all of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, because he becomes, I think, probably he might be one of the most prolific characters in terms of how many different things he's appeared in. You know, with all the movies he's been in, and and now the Agents of Shield television show, and it's a great way of revealing us, and especially in the idea that. At first, Pepper is dismissing him, and I think it's pretty easy for us, the audience, to dismiss him. And then, of course, next episode, we're going to talk about you know what it is he's saying and why that's so important. Right, exactly. We'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow and, and who he is and his backstory. But other than that, I guess that's it. I don't have anything else for this minute. Do you have anything else? Um, no, I, I, I'm just going to take a look at my notes. But yeah, I think that that, um, I'm glad we hit the cheeseburger, the Burger King point, although <laughs> I think you made a good good point about that. Oh, just when you're talking about uh, filming thing, the only reason I mentioned the, the cheeseburger in the pocket, what you said about maybe he was doing that to kind of troll Obadiah makes sense. I actually watched that the first time and I thought, was that a production issue? Like they like forgot that, not forgot, but that somehow like two different ideas of one him being him throwing out the first cheeseburger and then him having a second one. It, it just kind of played as though there was a disc, a small continuity error. But to me, I, I kind of like your explanation better that he knew all along he's going to have the cheeseburger. He's just, you know, not wanting to give it to Obadiah. Right. Yeah. No, it, it makes me laugh. It's just like this endless supply of cheeseburgers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he came out with another one, like toward the end of the press conference. They just keep coming. Probably. Probably. <laughs> oh, so funny. Well, thank you again. I'm really enjoying uh, uh, being a part of this. I'm looking forward to talking about the next minute. Yeah. Do you have a place? Where should people find you on the internet and learn more about you and your podcast? Yeah, sure. So again, my name is Matthew S. Fox. And the big thing that I do is I run the Superhero Ethics Podcast. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It's a podcast where we talk about movies like this one and most of the MCU and the DC universe, as well as kind of a wider range of of fantasy and science fiction. And specifically, we look at um, the issues of um, ethical and moral questions from them. For me, I was really excited to talk about this movie because what, what started our podcast off was the question of Team Team Cap or Team Tony from uh-huh. Civil War movies. So we've been deeply, the MCU has always been our bread and butter and an Iron Man a topic we talk quite about, uh, about quite a lot. So for anyone who's interested, you can find us on most podcast stations. iTunes, I know, has it. Some of the others, Stitcher, Podbean, at Superhero Ethics. That's um, one word, superhero, and a separate word, ethics. You can also find us at SuperheroEthics.com, and then you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter, also at Superhero Ethics. Um, we always love taking questions. We love hearing people's thoughts and feedback, and um, we'd love to hear from more, more of your listeners. Awesome. It's definitely a great podcast and worth checking out. I definitely recommend it. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Well, that is it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free over at MarvelMovieMinute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash the next reel. Until next time, true believers. Yeah.